Hey, everybody. Whatever. Hey, New Lenox. Hey, Homer. I'm Pastor Tim, the pastor here. But most of the time, you're going to see me. I am uh, you know, the top of the food chain. Uh, so when it comes to Super Bowl predictions, you're going to get them from me, okay? Um, don't listen to anybody else's Super Bowl predictions. They can only come from me. But first, I don't know if you saw this, a buddy of mine has two tickets for the 2017 Super Bowl. Uh, he's got a luxury suite reserve. This is a guy's Facebook post. Airline tickets, hotel suite, tickets, pregame parties, and everything. However, he somehow failed to realize the game is scheduled for the same day as his wedding. So he can't go. If you're interested and you'd like to go, instead of him, it's at St. Peter's Church in New York City at 5 p.m., her name is Louise. She's 5'4", 125 pounds. She'll be wearing the white dress. There you go. <laughs> Super Bowl. I want the Falcons to win. I do. I really do, right? Okay. But I asked, I asked the Lord, and I said, Lord, what's going to happen? And I threw the Bible up in the air, and it landed on the ground, and it flipped open to Ecclesiastes 4.12. Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves, a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. And I said, Lord, what does that mean? And the Lord said, what is a three-strand cord? It's a braid. Thank you. Three people clapped here, New Lennox. Brady cannot be easily broken. I'm sorry, that's just what the Lord said. So I was like, no, no, this, is, this, is, this can't be. I don't want Brady to win another Super Bowl. So I threw the Bible up again. I landed again. It flipped open to Leviticus 11, 13. And these ye shall have an abomination among the birds. They shall not be eaten. They are an abomination. The eagle, the hawk, the osprey, the kite, and the falcon are an abomination to the Lord. That's what he told me. I'm just telling you what he told me. <laughs> Call your bookie. Going to do a sermon today that some of you have seen before. Some, some of you have, uh, have seen me do this. Every two years, I try to go back and hit this sermon based on uh, Dr. Bruce Wilkinson's book, Experiencing Spiritual Breakthroughs. The reason it's so important for me is because this illustration of these three chairs for me just, just helps in so many ways for me to understand my spiritual life. And in the next few minutes, you're going to figure out how this works for you, spiritually speaking, okay? I like Goldilocks, obviously one of them is the right chair to sit in, okay? So let's go. Chair one, <coughs> I want you to think of the word commitment, all right? This is your chair, this is the one you're supposed to sit in. Notice it's just another one of your chairs. That's what it is. It's the chair you're right now. You're sitting in chair one. Everybody go, yay, I'm sitting in chair one. Woo! Let's, let's have communion and go home. Now, wait, i got to explain it, okay? The, the, you, these people that are sitting in this chair are part of the church body. They read God's word. They're generous givers. They're involved. They serve. They're on mission with, with Jesus, okay? That, this, that's chair one person, all right? Everything in the relationship goes back to, to Jesus, this is chair two. It's one of those chairs you take to your kids' soccer games, all right? It's the chair of compromise. These are people who have some relationship with the Lord, but it's not really that solid. And maybe it's grounded in the things of the past, and, and, and it's an easily movable chair. So it's the chair of compromise. This is the wonderful, lovely chair of complacency, right? This chair... 
uh, is set in by maybe an atheist, maybe an agnostic, uh, maybe somebody who grew up with some faith, but they don't want to have anything to do with it at all. And if you sit in this chair as, as, a, as a spiritual person, I want you to know you're welcome here. We're so glad you're here. We want to do whatever we can to help you in your spiritual life. But spiritually speaking, what we want for you to have happen in your life is not just for you to go to heaven when you die. It's for you to follow Christ and sit in chair one. All right? Let me give you an example from Scripture and different places in Scripture. We find uh, easy places to see how this happens. And one of those is Joshua. Joshua is the guy who is going to lead after Moses, the children of Israel, into the promised land. And he gives them a speech before they go into the promised land. And some of you have seen this speech, or at least parts of it, on a plaque at some point. Some of you may even have it in your house. Joshua says, all right, chair one people, fear the Lord and serve him with faithfulness. Throw away all the gods that your forefather worshipped beyond the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods of your forefathers beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites where you're living now. But as for me and my house, say this with me, we will serve the Lord. We will serve the Lord. How many of you, all of our campuses, how many of you have heard that before? Okay, all right. A lot of you have heard it before. How many of you, keep your hands up, would say, I know that's where I want to be. I want to be in that chair, okay? If you don't, it's okay. But most of us would say, that's where I want to be. It's for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's chair one philosophy. But watch what happens as they go into the promised land just a few years later, really. We get over to Judges chapter 2, and it tells us, and this, this is a simple little slide. After Joshua had dismissed the Israelites... They went to take possession of the land. Each went to his own inheritance, and the people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and of all who had seen the great things the Lord had done for them. Do you see what happened? This is current, present tense. This is past tense. Had done. Okay? And watch how quickly we get to chair three. Joshua, the son of Nun, servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. I hope that doesn't happen to me. After that, the whole generation had been gathered up to their fathers. Another generation grew up, okay? These people's children, just one generation, who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. In one generation... In one generation, we have spiritual erosion that goes from commitment, we will serve the Lord, to compromise, had done, the things had done, to complacency, who knew not. I have no idea what you're talking about. These people watch God part the Red Sea. These people watch the walls of Jericho come tumbling down. These people were the ones who saw all of these miracles, and actually so did these people. They may have been children during that time, but they saw this going on. And all of a sudden, we slide down into chair three, and they have no idea who God is or what's going on. 
So Dr. Wilkinson says, how, how does that work in our life? Let's apply this to our own lives and try to figure out some different contrasts of things that we do along the way that will help us, okay? Let's, first of all, decide who's on the throne of our lives, all right? Contrast number one, who's on the throne? On this chair, it's God. God and Jesus are the measuring rod to which everything is measured in my life. Job, family, finances, time, everything is measured by that. C.S. Lewis, <coughs> a great author, said one thing Christianity can never be is moderately important. Okay, It can't. Your, your, your life needs to revolve around Jesus. And the truth about this chair is if you've got carpet around this chair, spiritually speaking, it's usually a little bit worn out. Because you're always getting up and going to do what God wants you to do. Me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I was raised in a first-chair home. I'm fortunate. I'm thankful for that. But throughout time, I had to figure out if I was going to have my own first-chair home. Okay? And so do you. My, my grandson, Charlie, is two years, three months old at this point. They're teaching him to pray. Does he understand prayer? Not, no, not really. He closes his eyes. You know, I mean, they're teaching him Jesus loves me. They sing Jesus loves me every night when he goes to bed. And he sings along with them. He, he doesn't get his consonants very good yet. And he doesn't, of course, he doesn't understand who Jesus is. But they're teaching him that. They're also going to teach him how to go to the bathroom, okay? Because when he's eight, we don't want him still wearing diapers. I don't, okay? And you do the same thing for your kids. So, so I, you know, I'm, I don't, I'm, I'm happy for the fact that they're passing on the things that are important to them, like hygiene and their faith. But at some point, Charlie is going to have to decide for himself. This is why we baptize believers around here. We wait for you to make your own decision and your kids to make your own decision. And at some point, Charlie's going to have to say, you know what? I want this for myself. As for me and my house, even though I still live in your house, I will serve the Lord. That's how it's supposed to go. Chair two people have a dual throne. They've got God and they've got self on, on the throne. just depends on how it works. Sometimes it's me, sometimes it's God. Okay? Chair three people have the word self on the throne. Everything comes back to them. Very simple. How does it affect me? This is really very simple, and this is really pretty simple. This one is a pretty crazy place to be. Okay? Contrast number two. How do I view my relationship to God? Okay? Who's on the throne? We figured out. How do I view my relationship with God? These people view it as a relationship. It's a give and take. It's always a relationship. People in, in this chair have a personal walk with Jesus Christ. There's a plaque that says Jesus Christ is the head of this house. He's the unseen guest at every meal. He's the silent listener at every conversation. That, that's this one, okay? This one is the word religion. They compartmentalize everything into a list of do's and don'ts, and as long as they go through the right rituals and all those things, and it can, it, it can come from any kind of a church background, from whatever, they feel like if they just do enough of the, of the religion stuff, they'll be okay, and they can keep one foot in the world and one foot in God at the same time. Billy Graham said, religion can be like a vaccine, which is so great. A vaccine is like a small amount of whatever it is, small amount of smallpox so that you don't get full-blown smallpox. That's what religion is. It's a small amount of God, and you don't end up getting the big amount of God. Second chair people just get enough of that. It's all about the rules and the regulations. A guy moved into a 
a neighborhood in Chicago, and um, everybody else in that neighborhood was Catholic. So when it got to, to Lent and, uh, you know, Friday, he was out cooking steaks every Friday night. And the neighbors were like, man, we got to do something about this. So, so finally all the guys got together like, I can't smell steak on Friday night while I'm eating another piece of fish. So they finally went over and they're like, dude, do you believe in God? And he was like, well, I don't know. I, you know, I've always been curious, but I, I don't have any religious background. And they said, well, you should come to church with us. So they took him, they took him to Mass, and he went to, went to church. He was like, yeah, this is good. Jesus, I like this concept. I, what, what do I need to do? And so he went and talked to the priest, and his priest said, well, have you ever been baptized? He said, no. He said, well, you need to get baptized. So the whole neighborhood got together for this guy's baptism service. It was awesome, you know. And the priest got up and, and put the water on his head and said, you were born a Baptist. You were raised a Baptist, but now you are a Catholic. Next Friday rolled around, the guy thought, oh, this is good. Everybody's going to be doing fish again until somebody smelled beef. You know, it's distinctive, right? You can tell when your neighbors are cooking beef. It's what God wanted us to eat, okay? <laughs> That's for my vegetarian daughter. Th th this, they could smell it, and they go over to Joe's house. They're like, Joe, Joe, what, what, what's happening? Just in time to see Joe with a little bit of water going, you were born a cow, you were raised a cow, but now you are a fish, okay? <laughs> it's, it's like that's all about all the things I'm supposed to do, and I do enough of those things to make sure everything's good. And it's, I'm not picking on Catholicism. It was the way a lot of people that I grew up with were doing the same thing. It was like I want the rules and regulations, but it's not the relationship that we were designed for. The, the, the difference between chair one person is that this person's entire life is permeated by Jesus. Everything is. This person, you know, just, just part of it. As a matter of fact, this is the illustration for how this person lives their life, okay? It's this, it's this dualism that they live in. It's like, okay, up in here, I've got God. This is my church life. I mean, it's top drawer, okay? So quit giving me a hard time. It's top drawer. And the second drawer is my family drawer. And the next drawer is my job, my hobbies, the things I do drawer. And the bottom drawer is, well, we all know what we put in the bottom drawer, right? And it's compartmentalized. That's how you end up in this chair. But this person has a relationship with God. So Jesus is a part of their home. He's a part of their job. He's a part of everything that happens. Very, very simple. That's why this is an easily movable chair. Because you never know whether you're going to be sitting over here or sitting over here. And that's why this chair is so deadly. Third chair, the word is simply rebellion. I'm content to sit in my lounge chair of life, and I'm not going to worry about it, okay? And, and you know what? Let me just give you a, a word of warning. Um, there's something you all know about this chair, especially the older ones of you. Um, the longer you sit in this chair, the harder it is to get out of. Can I get an amen from you, anybody? Okay. As a matter of fact, every time I do this sermon, I joke about how it won't be long before I need one of those Medicare chairs, you know, that slowly starts to just get me up out of there. And I'm thinking, it may be time. I may be ready for it now. It's amazing how things have changed in two years. How, how, here's another contrast. How do you view the Bible? How do you view the Bible? Okay. This person submits to the Bible. They submit to the Bible. Okay. This person, this person respects the Bible. What's the difference? What's the difference of that? Well, this person submits to the Bible. So if the Bible says, love your enemies, love your neighbor as yourself, 
whatever, they're going to go, well, I don't really like my enemy. I'm not real crazy about my neighbor, but if the Bible tells me to do that, I'm going to do it. This person, they're like, okay, I respect the Bible. It's one of the things that, I, that you know, is influential in my life, but I'm not loving my neighbor, okay? I know you don't know my neighbor. I'm not doing it, okay? It's a sliding scale. This person over here, they own a Bible because <laughs> everybody in America does. This guy's got a King James Bible. It's about this thick. It's from Grandma. It's got some births and deaths listed in it. Maybe a rose from Susie's prompt. You got me? This is how we do all this, okay? And just so you know, around here, we try to be this with the Bible. We try to submit to the Bible. We're starting a series next week about our baggage, about our hurts and our habits and our hang-ups, and how are we going to get through them. And we're going to give you biblical ways of, of overcoming your hurts and your habits and your hang-ups. It is possible, but we're not going to do it the world's way. We're going to do it with biblical ways, okay? Th- th- that's just the difference of it. Contrast number four, how do we view our jobs? This person views their job as a mission. I wrote a book, for those of you that are new, called Life on Mission, and um, it's a program for churches to go through, help people figure out how to do that again. And um, we did it as a church, and some other churches around the country have done it. And my buddy out in L.A. um, at Real Life Church did Life on Mission with his church, and um, so I, I just, I'm going to show you this. I want to show you a video because I know I do a lot of like classic rock illustrations and a lot of leave it to beavers. And, and a lot of my millennial people in the crowd are like, man, could you just talk to us for a minute? Okay. So I know you old people don't know who I'm getting ready to say. But young people, I got to meet Taylor Lautner last weekend. Okay. It's mostly you 20-year-old girls want to know this. Okay. I got to meet Taylor Lautner because his church did Life on Mission, and he's a believer, and he read Life on Mission. So I got to have lunch with Taylor Lautner. For the rest of you, he was the most famously known as the wolf guy in the Twilight movies, okay? He's that guy, all right? So I got to, I got to have lunch with him because he's a believer. He's trying to leave his, lead, lead out in a mission in, in Hollywood, which is very, very crazy. I got to have lunch with him and his dad and his grandpa, who are all believers, who passed the faith on to Taylor. So here you go. You'll want to see this. It's funny. Hey, I'm here with Taylor Lautner, who, like me, was a teenage sex symbol and um, we just we just had lunch because he's read life on mission and he is living his life on mission in the movie industry which you got to imagine is a hard place so I want to make sure that you pray for him and say hey thank you yeah thank you very much everyone tough place to be but he's living the mission he's the man (laughs) I paid him for that I want, I'd, lo- I'd love for you to pray for him, man. I mean, it's crazy. He's had a lot of success. He's one of those guys, TMZ follows everywhere he goes, and he's trying to live a mission in his job. What I said in the book was what, you're called to your mission where you are in your Jerusalem. Don't think that I'm on mission and you're not because I work for God full time. We're all on mission. That's how we view our job. Chair 2 views their job as a blessing. I mean, it came from God, and thank you for that, God, but, you know, I mean, that's, that's basically it. Chair three sees their job as an opportunity. You start to see the difference? Let's keep going. Contrast number five, your marriage. I, I, don't, I mean, we just talked about this some. Marriage is hard. Here's a cartoon that I didn't get a chance to use in the last series. It, 
That's funny right there. We know that marriage is difficult, right? Okay. But what happens when it gets difficult? Chair one people see their marriage as a covenant. It's a covenant. Okay. Someone said there are two things that ought not to be entered into lightly. Embalming and divorce. Chair two Christians see their marriage as a contract. It's conditional. As long as you do for me, I will do for you, and that's how it will go. Things don't go my way, I will slide out. And please understand, there are biblical reasons for divorce, and sometimes your spouse leaves you and there's nothing you can do about it. And I know, you know all the people that are listening to me at all three campuses, a bunch of you have had to go through divorce. And there is no judgment here whatsoever. We invite you to take communion with us. Even if you cause the issue, there are no perfect people here at all, period. But this is part of the reason why the divorce rate is so high in our country. It's because when things get tough, people look at it, their marriage as a, as a, as a contract. And, and I'm going to get out of it because you're not doing what you're supposed to do. This, no, 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 no. This is a covenant. I said till death do us part, and I meant it. Chair three people, it's a convenience, okay? That's really all it is. It's a convenience. Uh, maybe some insurance and tax benefits, but that's it. Contrast number six, parenting. It starts to get really important here. Chair one people want to raise godly kids. Godly kids who are going to go be chair one people wherever God calls them to go. And honestly, you know, that's what we tried to do. And then our kids went and, and moved away to go follow the mission that God, it's, it's not always easy. Chair two people want to raise good kids. I and mean, there's nothing wrong with this. I want to have good kids. Don't do anything to hurt my reputation. You should do better things for the, 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 the country, for society, for the environment, whatever. You should be a good person because we know that's important, okay? But that's different than godly. Chair three people want to raise successful kids. That's, I mean, they just want it, you know, they, they want the kid, they love their kids, so they want their kids to be successful, and all they know about success are the things that, that they've done in their life. So that looks like, you know, a nice family, it looks like money, all those things. Hopefully they'll have enough money to pay, you know, for my retirement home when Medicare, you know, taps out and there's nothing left. That's what I want, okay? It's the difference. Here's another biblical example. King David in the Bible, this is so important. King David in the Bible was a chair one person and an adulterer and a murderer. For those of you that don't know this story, King David found this woman that he wanted. She was married to somebody else, so he took out her husband, literally had her husband killed. How could he be chair one? Oh, no, 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 no. That's why this is so important. Chair one is not about how good you are, you guys. No, no, no. We're saved by the grace of Jesus, 100%. There's nobody that's good. We're not talking about good. We're talking about somebody who keeps coming back to God over and over again and saying, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. After David committed adultery, committed murder, and committed a whole bunch of other sins along the way, like you and I, at the end of his life, God could say, that was a man after my own heart. That's so encouraging to me because I haven't done those things, but I've done other things, and I will do more sins in my life. 
And I'm going to keep coming back to that chair. But here's the problem. David had a son named Solomon. Solomon was, um, man, a great king at first. Really great king. Wisest man who ever lived. Wrote, all, wrote the Proverbs and, and, and Ecclesiastes and a whole bunch of stuff in the Bible. But along the way, he started doing things God didn't want him to do and began to sit in this chair instead of this chair. And then he had a son named Rehoboam who just decided, I don't want to have anything to do with God whatsoever. So within three generations, David, Solomon, Rehoboam, the, the, the whole nation of Israel was blown apart. Why? I don't think it was blown apart by David. Maybe his son saw the hypocrisy of what happened when he did the adultery and he did, and he did the murder and he did all the other things that he did. Maybe he wasn't the best parent ever, but he did keep coming back here. I think that this was the problem. Bruce Wilkinson said he's done this talk to thousands, tens of thousands of people, and he talks to people about parenting a lot of times. And he said, what's surprising to me is not that chair one people raise chair one children. There's no guarantee your children have free will, but if you want to have chair one children, you need to be a chair one parent, okay? What was surprising to him is that chair two parents don't raise chair two children. They raise chair three children because your children look at this and the world looks at this and it's so complicated. And how do you know whether you're in or out? And how do you live your life that way with the chair over here sometime and the chair over here sometime? And they just go, forget it. I want to, I'm just going to sit over here. I don't want to have anything to do with that. And he said, to produce first chair children, you need to commit to being a first chair parent. Um, that's not a surprise, but this part is. This is how fast this goes. How do you view money? Let's go to contrast number seven. How do you view money? Well, chair, chair one people are stewards. They're stewards. The, the Bible says, uh, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, but store up treasures in heaven. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. A steward is a person who knows that, that God owns everything or that someone else owns everything, and they're just using what that person gave them in a responsible way, because it's not theirs. And so when he asks for some of it back, we say, sure. Paul said, but since you excel in everything, right? Here's first chair, in faith, yeah, in speech, in knowledge, yes, in complete earnestness and in love, yes, that's what we want you to excel in. See to it that you also excel in the grace of giving. We're stewards, Chair two people, when it comes to our wallets, are philanthropists, okay? When it comes to this, chair two people are philanthropists. In other words, we know we want to give, we do give. We know the Bible says it's more blessed to give than to receive. We know that. And what does that make us? That makes us philanthropists. There are some great philanthropists out there. Uh, some of them are very, very wealthy and do a whole lot of crazy things. And some of them don't. You've seen your tax returns by now. You've probably been working on your tax statements and all that kind of stuff. How's, how, how does that look? Okay. Chair three people are owners. I own everything. Jesus told this story about a man who was not wise in the way he handled his money. 
And the man said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones and store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, oh, self, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. And God took it all away from him. Can you be sitting in chair one if you aren't regularly giving to God? I mean, all through the Bible, it asks us to regularly be giving back to God. In the Old Testament, it was a tithe. It was 10%. My wife and I have done that all of our lives. And you know what's always happened? God has always given us more and more and more. But one way or another, it was always percentage giving. It was always regular giving. It was, it's not like, oh, well, maybe I'll get, again, look at your tax forms and tell me, where do you sit? It's really pretty simple. Do you give more to your cell phone company than you give to God? This is how we know what chair we sit in. The Bible tells us the point of all of this is that if you sow sparingly, you will reap sparingly. If you sow bountifully, you will reap bountifully. If you trust in God and you know that it's all his, then when you give back, God's going to keep giving, and he's got more to give than you do. But please hear me on this, okay? If you're sitting in chair two, please understand, this is not about what you do for God so that God likes you. I have absolutely no problem asking you to do for God what God asks you to do because he gave us his son and we get to live forever in freedom. But every time I talk about this kind of stuff, I have to come back and remind you that this is about you. I mean, where do you want to sit? Do you want to sit here where you're never really sure what's going on? Do you want to be in control of your money or you want God to be in control? Do you, want to, do you want to be in control of your family or you want God to be in control? you want to be in control of your marriage or do you want God to be in control? Is this fun? Is this fulfilling? When you hear about the New Linux campus opening up and, and going so great, are you proud of that? I'm proud of that because I sacrificed to help make that happen, to share in that joy. That's how it ought to be. And if you don't believe that God is actually the one who can bless you in every way with worldly stuff, he says, if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? Contrast eight, how do you view the church? Chair one people are partners in the church, okay? They're partners in the church. This is, this is my church. I'm going to be a part of it. I'm, I'm going I'm to be in there. Chair two people are consumers of the church. If it's good, I'm going to go. If it's not good, I'm not going to go. Whatever feeds me is great. Chair three, it doesn't apply, okay? I mean, they don't care about church. It doesn't matter. So I ask you, where are you at when it comes to church? We're doing this. Please get this out. I want to show it to you right now because I believe how we serve in the local church is a demonstration of where we're sitting right here right now. And we're trying to get everybody to, to help us serve and do what we need to do to help more people come in here. And i got to tell you, we got like a 1,000 new people around here since Christmas. I mean, we launched this new campus at New Linux, and it's running over 1,500 people, and we have three services, and we're thinking about a fourth already. That's exactly what we wanted to have happen. But you know how that happened? A bunch of great people, a bunch of great, of you great people that, that were serving in Homer and serving in Orland went over there. You're over there listening to me at New Linux right now, and now there's some holes at Homer. And then there's some holes at Orland, and we're still doing the same amount of services here. 
Oh, we need your help. Look at all these things that go on around here. I mean, there's two sides of this thing. And the red ones are the ones that we really need immediately. And New Linux needs them too. Don't think, think, oh, I'm at New Linux. I don't have to do anything. No, no, no. We all need to be partners in the church. So I want to encourage you to fill this thing out. Throw it in the offering when it comes by. We waited to do the offering until later. Or give it to, better yet, give it to somebody on the way out and say, hey, I'm going to partner up. Give us your email address. We'll send you an email and help you get signed up. There's all kinds of things that you can do in here. It's not just the nursery and the parking lot. There are other things on here that you can do. And do we need you? Yeah, we need you. The only way we can reach more people is if we have more partners. And, and you know what? That, that's what goes on. When, when we go launch a campus, the reason that, that Homer is so tight and so fun and, is because people went and said, I want to be a part of this new thing, and I'm going to be partners together. And New Lenox did the same thing. We need all of our campuses to be full of partners. You can text, six, you can text SERVE to 62953 if you'd like. Also, we'll get you some information, and I want to encourage you to jump in. Give it to somebody on the way out. We'll give you a Coke. Because we're sharing the experience. No experience necessary, okay? Just, just, just do this with us. Listen, I, I, here's the thing. Sometimes you get involved in, in church. And I want to tell you this if you're visiting from another church or listening to me online. I, I, don't, don't come here, okay? <laughs> if you're online and you don't have a church, come. But if, if you're at another church, the best thing you can do is jump in and become a partner. What tends to happen to people is after... You know, five years, seven years, whatever, they get the seven-year itch, and they're like, oh, my church isn't doing it for me anymore. And you know that happens in your marriage. It happens in anything along the way. So what should you do? You should find more ways to engage so that you can make it better. That, that's, what needs to, that, that's what needs to happen in our lives. I want to encourage you with that. If you're bored or discouraged in your relationship with God, jump in, all right? Jump in and insert. Make it happen. All right, so what does all this do for us, okay? Commitment is about God on the throne. It's relationships. We submit to the word. Our job is a mission. We have a covenant marriage. We raise godly kids. We're stewards of God's money, and we're partners in God's church. That, that's what we're shooting for. You can, see, you can see the other choices here. It's pretty simple. So you know what I'm going to say. I'm going to keep saying what I'm saying. This is where you need to sit. Now, you're all sitting there. All right, you're all good. Don't forget that. You're all sitting in first chair right now, so what should you do? Well, if in your heart and spiritually speaking you really sit here, then the word is reaffirm for you. Reaffirm. Reaffirm. The Bible says if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily. That's the key word in that scripture from Jesus. Daily. Reaffirm. I'm saying like when you get up tomorrow morning, when you get up, this week, every day, when you get up, say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord and reaffirm who it is that you want to be. you got to do it every day because it's so easy to go sit in that chair, you guys. I do it, I do it just as much as you do. If you've heard this and you're sitting in this chair right now, the word for us is repent. It's repent, okay? This is not where you want to be. This, this is not at all where you want to be. This is, this is not where you want to sit. you got to repent of this. The, listen to what the Bible says about this chair. The Bible says, faith without works is dead. You can't really sit here for very long. It's dead. 
James says, be doers of the word, not hearers only. You might be saying, well, Tim, you don't understand. I believe in God. You know what? Jesus' brother James said in the Bible, he said, big, stinking, hairy deal. The demons believe in God. It's what you do with it that matters. And there's another verse that really gets all of us, where God tells us in the book of Revelation, he's talking to one of the churches he's not happy with, and he says, listen, you guys, I know your deeds. I know that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were one of the other. (laughs) What God is saying in that verse is, I hate that chair more than anything else. I wish that you were either cold or hot, but because you're not, I'm going to, you're lukewarm. Nobody likes that. You're neither hot nor cold, so I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. And literally that means you make me sick. When I sit in that chair, I make God sick. When you sit in that chair, you make God sick. Why is that? Because everybody else out there that's sitting in this chair, they're having a hard time getting past that chair to get to that chair. Just like your kids. So repent. If you're sitting in third chair, again, you're welcome, and we're glad that you're here. And I know this is an awesome chair. It's very comfortable. It's very nice to sit in and hard to get out of. But at some point, you know there is a nagging question inside of you about what happens after this. There's a nagging question. Man, I'm I'm comfortable and all that, but you know what? This isn't all I thought it ought to be. And I wonder what happens after I die. There's There's no promise for you. Will you receive? That's the word. Receive. Oh, just, just receive. It's a free gift, okay? And you don't get to heaven because you live in that chair well enough. You don't, you don't get to heaven because you do enough good things. This is about receiving the gift of God and then living the life that he designed you to live over here. Here's what happens a lot of times. People that sit in this chair are like, okay, all right, I get it. I'm not going to sit in this chair anymore. You want me to scoot over to this chair? No, no. That makes God sick. (laughs) That's the puke chair. Don't sit in that chair. Just decide, cold or hot. If you want to follow the gods of the Amorites, the gods your forefathers followed, that's all fine, okay? But I want to encourage you, and as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Let's pray and we'll have communion. Lord, for those who are in the easy chair of absolute complacency towards you, I pray that maybe their heart's been stirred today. And I really feel like a lot of times those people are there because they never actually understood what it was like to live in chair one. They've never seen an example of people who lived in chair one. And I pray for us as we try to do that and take up our cross daily and do that. And Lord, if there are people in this room that need to today accept you and receive the gift of salvation, let them pray with me right now. Lord Jesus, I know know I'm not good enough. I know I can't save myself. And if 
any of this stuff is true about Jesus dying for my sins, even though I don't deserve it, I'm going to take that chance and I'm going to ask you, Jesus, to be my Lord and my Savior. And I'm going to follow you. And I know I've got a long way to go, but my goal in following you is to take up my cross daily and to follow you. Not just to follow you into heaven when I die, but it's actually to turn my life over to you and be a chair one believer for the rest of my life and lead my family to be chair one believers for the rest of their lives and my grandchildren and the ones after them. I want to change the, the trajectory of my family back. I accept. And Lord, for the ones of us that are thinking, yeah, that compromise chair, that's been kind of where I've been lately. We all do. We all, we all experience it. We all go back there. Lord, we repent. We're sorry. That's for me and my house. We're going to serve the Lord. And that we're going to throw the chest of drawers away and quit trying to keep you in a little box and keep you separated from everything else in our lives. We're going to let that turn into a relationship. We're going to let it permeate everything we do. And as for me and my house, we're going to serve you. And for those of us, Lord, that are thinking, well, I think I'm still doing pretty good with this first chair thing. I get it. I'm in. We reaffirm every day that we're following you. And there's probably something like in my life has happened today where we thought, you know what, I, that might not be first chair for me right now. Lord, thank you that we're not saved. Thank you that you don't love us any less when we don't sit in that chair. But help us to understand that that is the chair we were designed to live in. And that is the best chair we could sit in. It's the most rewarding and the most fulfilling. And let us tomorrow morning get up and say, yes, I want to sit there. We will serve the Lord. For all of us right now, Lord, we realize as we pass these communion emblems across that you are the one who made it possible for us. You gave everything for us, what you ask from us so that we can be an example, so that we can help other people find you. What you ask from us is nothing. And we remember you now. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray this. Amen.